0: Welcome everyone, this is Jordan and I'm the worship pastor here at Trevecca Community Church and we are so glad that you're here with us today as we hear God's word. Each week we stream the service live from the sanctuary just for you. So come along with us now as we grow together and hear what God has to say to us.
1: Hear the word of the Lord this morning from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 11. Then God spoke all these words I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol for yourself, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth below or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name Remember the sabbath sabbath day and keep it holy Six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is the sabbath to the Lord your God You shall not do any work you your son your daughter your male or female slave your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. This is the word of the Lord.
0: And thanks to our worship team this morning, it was a sweet sound. Selfishly, I love that all the kids sit right around where I happen to sit. This morning, I got to sit between Evelyn and Daniel, and it was a sweet, sweet sound. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That sounds really good. However, I have a list of things that I want to share with you this morning, a list of things that never let you rest, that need to happen over and over and over again, and it feels as if they will never stop. So here goes. Washing and folding laundry. Producing and procuring meals. Washing and putting away dishes. Care for children. Care for elderly. Care for lawns. Care for gardens. Care for pets. Care for your sanity. Homework grading homework, finding homework assignments stuffed in the bottom of the backpack, taking work home, water bills, electric bills, rent bills, all the bills, sitting in traffic, car maintenance, house maintenance, emails, elections, robocalls about elections, text messages from political campaigns, phone calls from your relative telling you that Taylor Swift has rigged the election, news alerts, Political unrest, natural disasters, border disputes, doctor's appointments, canceling and rescheduling doctor's appointments, finding out that the next available doctor's appointment is April of 2027. (laughs) Making the bed, fighting with your spouse about how to properly make the bed, changing the toilet paper roll, fighting with your spouse about how to properly replace the toilet paper roll. (laughs) Notifications from social media, Messages on Messenger, Slack, Instagram, WhatsApp, all of the apps. Filing taxes, paying taxes, trimming hair, washing hair, coloring hair, filing nails, clipping toenails, taking care of all the things that grow and age, whether you want them to or not. It never stops. Amen. Yes, it is. It never stops. Am I the only one that feels like that? It never stops every year, every month, every week, every day, every minute. There is something that still needs to be done that is not done, amen? Every minute. So is that just who we are? Is that just who we are? We are just bodies in constant motion, people who are caught in an endless cycle of productivity that never stops. Sabbath is our invitation out. (laughs) Our invitation out of the endless cycle that seems to trap us and captivate us. Sabbath is an invitation out. It is an invitation out of the cycle of endless production. It is a call to resistance to resist the ways that our social structures that we live in would shape our lives in the likeness of idols, rather than in the likeness of Jesus. Lent is a really good season for resistance, because it's already a season in the life of the church where we're used to paying attention Paying attention to the way we spend our time and monies and resources and appetites, right? Like we just tend to pay attention to the rhythms and patterns of our life, hopefully, in Lent a little more closely. And so, in this series, in the season of Lent, we are going to be examining the rhythms and patterns of our life, particularly around Sabbath and Sabbath keeping. This series is going to invite you to join the resistance. In this series, we're gonna look at ways that Sabbath invites us to resist idolatry, anxiety, coercion, exclusivism, and multitasking. (laughs) I'm really not looking forward to that last one. We're we're gonna examine these different things, and my main conversation partner as I've been preparing this series has been a really little book by Walter Brueggemann called Sabbath as Resistance. These are his themes, by the way, not mine, so I just need to give him credit for that. But I've got other conversation partners in the preparation, including some wonderful Bible commentaries and Ruth Haley Barton's Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest, which is a wonderful, like, practical guide to exploring the Sabbath. John Mark Comer's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is just going to absolutely punch you in the face. Uh, Norman Wurzba's Living the Sabbath, which also has some more kind of practical, holistic ways of practicing Sabbath. So that's kind of a big picture, like a big uh, perspective of what we're going to be doing in this series about Sabbath resistance throughout the season of Lent. But first, we need to go to Sinai. Like we need to go up to the mountain where Moses received these laws in the book of Exodus and is having this conversation with God and and God hears the cries of the people and God gives them the new way to live. So first we need to go up to Mount Sinai. And and to understand, to situate these 10 commandments the best way I know how, uh, to understand the context of all that's taking place when God gives these commandments, I I, want to just like situate the context the best way that I know how, which is through young adult fantasy book series, all right? (laughs) Uh, Namely, Percy Jackson. Percy Jackson's having a moment right now. There's a new series that just came out on Disney Plus that's pretty fantastic if I do say so myself. Uh, Percy Jackson is the story of a kid who has spent most of his life feeling like something was wrong with him because he didn't fit into the world around him. And so he was convinced that something was wrong with him. It never seemed to stop. The endless cycle of bullying and, and, and uh, teachers constantly nagging him about the fact that he had ADHD and dyslexia that made him struggle in school. It seemed like weird stuff was always happening to him that didn't happen to anybody else. It seemed like all the other kids had friends and he didn't have any friends, like he just didn't fit. Life was cruel and it seemed like it would never stop. And then one day, something really crazy happens to him. He gets attacked by a monster. And finds that he has a magical sword that used to be a pen. And so he fights this monster. And and his mom tells him that in order to be safe from the monsters, he needs to go to this special camp. And so he's running to get into this special camp. And he barely escapes the attack of a monster. And passes out fighting his way into this camp. And he wakes up in a place called Camp Half-Blood. And not just anywhere in the camp, but he wakes up in a place called the Big House. The big house is where he learns all about what's just happened to him and why his life has seemed so weird and out of place, why it felt like something was wrong with him. And he discovers that it's not that something was wrong with him, it's that something was right with him. He finds out that he's actually the son of Poseidon, the sea god. I know it's weird. I'll give you that, okay? And so he's got these like special magical powers and abilities and he's going to be a hero and go on quests. But before he can go into camp and like fully enter into this new life as what they call a half-blood, first he needs to have this meeting in the big house. And in the big house, he learns all the rules of camp, and, and he learns what to do and what not to do. In the big house, he learns uh, all the, the new practices that he's gonna need to put into place. Like in his old life, he had to take classes like algebra and social science, and, and now he's gonna be taking classes like archery and Pegasus writing. Pretty awesome, right? And so it orients him to be able to leave the old life behind and to enter into this new life, learning new rhythms and practices so we can leave the old life behind and fully enter into this new life, all right? So, so Moses going up to Mount Sinai and getting the Ten Commandments is, is kind of like going to the big house, going to the big house and learning the new rules around this new way of life. You see, before there were Ten Commandments, there was this God, the God, God of heaven and earth, not Poseidon and Zeus, God, the maker of heaven and earth, who loves these people and chooses these people and calls them out of slavery in Egypt and leads them into the wilderness, where they will prepare for the promised land. But God's brought them out of Egypt, and Egypt was a place where the people of God just didn't belong. It wasn't that something was wrong with them. It was something was right with them. They just didn't belong and they couldn't understand why it was so hard. They were enslaved in an economy of greed and insatiable production. They were used as pawns and commodities in Pharaoh's empire, Neighbor competing against neighbor. Every ounce of energy that they had was spent in the effort of producing greater and greater feats of strength and power for Pharaoh. Life was cruel and it never stopped. It never stopped. But God heard their cries and freed them from the hand of Pharaoh and freed them out of Egypt and brought them safely into the wilderness where they could learn how to be a new kind of people and to live by different rules and to develop new practices. They could teach their children this new way of living so that their children would know who they are. They would walk through the Red Sea like they were being reborn as a brand new people. Mount Sinai It's like taking a trip to the big house before entering camp. This is where they have the meeting, where they spell it all out. and Moses is there representing the Israelites to determine the terms of the covenant and what that will mean. In Exodus 19, it says, Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all people. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you... The whole earth is mine, but you, you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation." They weren't just getting out of Egypt, they were getting themselves into covenant with a God who loves them, who treasures them, who has this incredible plan for them. and they'll need to get into covenant with this God who emancipated them, and for them to figure out what it's gonna look like, they need these 10 Commandments. These 10 Commandments, they actually all work together in this incredible way. They work together to describe life that is freed from the bondage that they used to live in, that's freed from the old life and freed for this new life. And you can't really understand these commandments without understanding that, context. I, I know that we have heard the Ten Commandments, you've probably seen them on walls and engraved in all kinds of places, but all of these commandments are responding to their being freed from Egypt. In fact, it begins like that, right? The beginning of chapter 20, the Lord says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, right? Right? This is the whole reason God's giving this Ten Commandments, is so that they can learn how to get out, like how to get out of slavery and to live in this freedom that God has for them. Everything that follows, all the rest of the Ten Commandments is presenting a different way to live, a way that is not Egypt, a way that is not slavery. The first three commandments are what we're going to focus on today, right? We're gonna walk through the first three commandments because the first three commandments are about devotion to God, having no other gods but God, having no idols, and not misusing or taking in vain the name of God. All of those first three, they're about this devotion to God, what Jesus might describe as loving God with your whole heart, your whole mind, and your whole strength, right? That's what all the first three commandments are about. Next week, we're going to look at the last six commandments, and all of these last six are about care for neighbor, honoring father and mother, not murdering, not committing adultery, not stealing, not lying, not coveting. We'll look at those more closely next week. But for this week, we're going to look at how you see devotion to God in the first three and care for neighbor. But the commandment that lies in between these two, the fourth commandment that acts like a bridge between loving God and loving neighbor is the commandment to rest, to stop, in fact. The Hebrew word that's used in Genesis and Exodus about this this word rest I don't know about you, I often think about rest as like kicking back with my fluffy sandals on and a sleep mask over my eyes, right? The Hebrew word could also be translated to stop or to cease. Do you ever feel like that? Like just let it stop. This bridge that's built between these commandments to be fully devoted to God and to care for the neighbor What bridges them is this commandment to to stop. All of the ways of slavery and the practices that have kept you in bondage in the past to just stop. In fact, this is the way. I just want to read these words for us one more time so we hear them clearly. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, the alien resident in your towns. For the sixth day the Lord made for in the six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that was in them, but rested in the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and consecrated it. At this juncture between loving God and loving neighbor is an invitation to join God and neighbor. Did you hear how many people are listed there, right? Like, there, there can't be any confusion about the fact that everybody gets to stop. Like, there can't be some people who get to stop. I think moms out there, you understand me when I say that. Like, there's a holiday, We're like, great, everybody else gets to celebrate. I'll be in the kitchen making sure that turkey is ready by two o'clock, by the way, right? Like, like, this is saying, nope, nope, on this day, everybody gets to stop and rest in the presence of God. At this juncture between loving God and loving neighbor is an invitation to join God and neighbor in the very flow that the universe was created in, to participate in the grain of creation, the way that God made the heavens and earth. Because in six days, God did so much good, amazing work creating the sea and the land and everything in it. And on the seventh day, God stopped, ceased, trusted in all that had been made, God stopped. And so you also, you can stop for six days, do your work and do good work. Make the meals, do the dishes, work the job, fix the car, return the emails, make the widgets, go to the doctors. And then after six days, let it stop. Work and business can cease, and you can discover that life goes on without you making it happen. You might say, hey, Pastor Shauna, that sounds really great. That sounds really nice. But you don't understand my life. I can't just let it stop. Stop. People depend on me. It doesn't ever stop. I don't get to stop and rest because life never stops. I want you to hear, not just today, this whole sermon series. This is not intended to shame or guilt you about the pace at which you live your life. Or about how hard you work. Work is a good thing. This is not intended to make you feel shamed or guilty about the pace of your life. This is an invitation for you to desire, to long, to be so eager to rest in the presence of God, to know this gift that God has for you, a gift of stopping and ceasing. So today I want to dig a little deeper into these first three commandments to show how they connect to the fourth commandment to Sabbath and why for the Israelites they could stop. I'm sure they had all those same excuses, like, you don't understand, (laughs) Moses, that sounds really great, but you don't know my life. You don't know how it works in my house. For the Israelites, there were so many other things that had to happen in order for them to be able to observe the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And why for us today, if we're willing to resist the forces of idolatry that are constantly pulling at us, we might just be able to stop also. First, we can rest because there is no other God before our God. You see, in Egypt, there were lots of God's. Egypt had lots of gods, gods that were mainly uh, used to support and affirm the economic and social structures that Pharaoh had built. These gods celebrated and honored production and fertility, making more and more and more. And so the worship of these gods actually propped up the whole system of Egypt and this world that they lived in where they constantly had to be working and producing. Worshiping these gods was a part of the endless cycle And so when Moses and Aaron first came to Pharaoh, you know, the first ask was not, hey, will you let us leave here forever and ever and go into the promised land? No, the first ask, they said, the God of the Hebrews has revealed himself to us. Let us go a three days journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God, or he will fall upon us with pestilence and sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking people away from their work? Get to your labors. At first, they're just asking for a long weekend, right? Like they're just asking for a little break to let it all stop so that they can go and worship in the wilderness. But Pharaoh would not allow there to be any God other than Pharaoh. Pharaoh would not allow any other God to compete with him and his desire for the people to work for him. And that was true of every leader figure in every empire that followed, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Rome, promising protection and provision in exchange for endless work and complete devotion. At the very heart of God's actions in the book of Exodus, setting the people free was a desire to let people rest to be all that God had created them to be, to make it stop, to provide a way off of the hamster wheel where they could actually experience the presence of God, the one who truly gives them provision and protection. And if we trust in God before we trust in Pharaoh, or in our company, or in our 401K, or in the expectations of our neighbors, or even in our family, then we can rest. We can truly enter into rest because we don't have to earn God's love. We don't have to prove that we are worthy of salvation. It is a free gift for those who will live in covenant with God whose steadfast love endures forever. It's a free gift, and letting the world stop just for one day, just for one day a week, letting the world stop is resisting all of the idols that rule this world, saying, not today. I might work for you, but I don't live for you. All right, the second commandment, we can rest because we don't make for ourselves an idol. You see, to make an idol was literally to create an image for a god out of something that was material, something that could be controlled. And usually it was the same substance that you would also make currency out of, coins and things like that. And the most valuable of those materials was gold. Gold was this valuable material in which you could make the image of a god, and then that image that you created into a likeness of something else could be bought or sold. It would become a commodity in Pharaoh's market. And that image could be bought or sold like a piece that could be traded. But this is the Lord God we're talking about. The Lord who brought them out of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, this is the God who says, my people will not be bought or sold. So certainly this God will not have an image at the whims of the market to be valued and devalued. Now, we might not say like, we we, we might say this is an easy one. (laughs) I, I don't have any like figures of gods up in my car, in my house. I don't bow down to the god of the Egyptian god of the sun. I, I don't dance to Baal, the god of Assyria. I don't offer sacrifices to Zeus, one of the gods of Greece. But when we make our ability to work and produce more important than our devotion to the god who freed us to rest, that's idolatry. The third commandment, we can rest because God's name is holy. You see, these people, these people who were invited to rest on the seventh day, these were strange people. These were really odd ducks that they didn't really act like the rest of the world around them acted. There was something different and set apart about them. These were a strange people who lived so differently than the world they had known in Egypt, or Assyria, or Babylon, or Rome, or America. They're set apart. And the way that they live is intended to be a life of freedom and an invitation for others to join the freedom that God is offering, an invitation for the world around them. These people are the ones who bear the name of God because there is no image or idol or likeness for God. The people are the one who bear God's image, right? So they are the ones who carry God's name into the world. When people look at these when when the rest of the world looks at the people of Israel, they're seeing the name of the Lord God. And so the way that they lived was the way that they carried the name of God into the world. They were the visible representation of God in this world. And so it's so important about how we speak about God that when other people who come into contact with us inquire, why are these people so strange? In the ancient world, it would have been, why don't they buy and sell idols? Why do they rest on the seventh day? Why don't they cheat and lie and steal and sleep around? Why are they not always in need of more, more, more that's when they would show them who this God is, this God who loves them and sees them as a treasured possession, not to be a commodity that's bought or sold. The name of the Lord would be made known in their strangeness. Not just a name that people hear, but to understand that this God is different than other gods and is offering them something so much different than other gods. Bible commentator Terence Fretheim said, at the deepest level, The use of God's name is a matter of mission. See, not only is this commandment about honoring God's name with our words, which it is, but it's not only about honoring God's name with our words, it's also about honoring God's name with our lives as a visible representation for God in the world, making it possible for your neighbor to rest is honoring God's name with your life, making the name of the Lord known and visible to the world. And so, when you are road raging on I-24, screaming at the other cars around you because you have got to get to this meeting on time with your Jesus loves you sticker on the back, that's taking God's name in vain. You understand? Also, you might say if we could press just a little bit further. When you are wrapping language about Jesus around a political candidate, so much so that you're not sure who the Savior is, that's making an idol. That's that's taking the Lord's name in vain. So keeping Sabbath holy and keeping God's name holy, it goes hand in hand, entering this place of rest where you don't need other champions to fight for you, where you can truly rest with God and neighbor. I know we live in a world that seems like it never stops. I know. But maybe it never stops because we haven't fully left Egypt yet. Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. It's as if following Jesus is stepping out of this old way of life and entering into this brand new way of living, of being in the world. Stepping into a new life where you can put those old burdens down and it can stop. Striving can cease. Work can have its place, but it can't have your soul. Adele Calhoun says that if you aren't resting, you are a slave to something. Have we really left behind the old life? Have we really entered into God's reign? Have we walked out of the bonds of slavery or are we still held captive? Percy Jackson was a fun example, something that I like to nerd out about. But what does that look like for you to walk out of Egypt and into the new life that Jesus has for you? What does it look like for you to walk in that kind of freedom? What monsters are chasing you? What slave drivers are still holding on to you? Sometimes these Sabbath conversations can be a little bit overwhelming when we start naming this stuff and start becoming aware of all the things that really still have a hold on us, it can feel impossible to step out and to start something new, to trust in God. It takes an awful lot of trust to really practice the Sabbath stuff well. My Nina used to say, Shauna, do what you can, not what you can't. And I hope that takes a little pressure off this morning. We're not asking you about what you can't do. We're asking what, what can you do? What invitation has God given you? Where is God inviting you to rest, to lay down your burden, to let it stop? And even if for you, with all the burdens that you carry, and I don't, I don't know what all those burdens are, Even if for you, the only moments that you have are these moments that we make for you in this space, because you chose to come here and to participate in worship. Even if these are the only moments where you can rest, where it can stop, I hope that in these moments, you experience the promise of Jesus in such a powerful way that your heart longs for more. more of him. And so Pastor Jordan's going to lead us in just a refrain of this song. This call to rest. And after that Pastor Jamin's going to come and lead us in a time of prayer. Wherever it would be most restful for you to join us. Whether that might be kneeling at an altar, in a place of physical (laughs) surrender, walking and kneeling where it feels like you can just lay it down. Lay a burden at a place like an altar, a visible representation of a place that can hold your burden, somewhere where you can leave something so that you can walk out here a little freer and lighter. Or staying there in your seats or if you're worshiping with us online, just take a posture of rest as Pastor Jordan leads us in this song and we prepare our hearts for prayer and communion. I will Thanks for tuning in. Remember, you can join us in person in the sanctuary at 10:30 a.m. on Sunday mornings, live on YouTube or through our sermon podcast. If you'd like to give, you can do so at slash give Any other ministry resources can be found on our website. However you join us, however you choose to engage, know that you are loved. We're grateful for you.